Hello, welcome along to uh, to another uh, Forever Blue podcast. Delighted to be able to speak to you about another City victory. Thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, which is their website, who are the sponsors of the Forever Blue podcast for this season. Thanks very much to them. They do chartered mortgaging and all sorts of financial stuff like that. Check them out on the website and uh, they may well be able to help you. Uh, and obviously the guy who is uh, is running that company, or certainly the one I liaise with, is a big City fan. So that makes it even better, doesn't it? If you tell him you're a blue when you, when you ring up, when you ring the number, he'll probably do an even better deal for you. Um, so remember... I told you that. We have a new venue for this week's recording of the podcast. We're at Tameside Radio, which is based in Ashton, which is a, a place now where I do some work. I do a Saturday show between one and two every week where I chat in depth to one person. I've had Chris Bird, the former Chief Operating Officer, as a guest of mine. I've talked to a guy who's trying to bring back the Jimmy Grimble movie. Uh, sorry, the Jimmy Grimble musical as a large, as a stage show. Of course, it was a movie. And I've inter- interviewed other interesting people as well. And I now do an, an 80s hour between 8 and 9 every weekday. So I'm on the radio again, loving to do it. Uh, but tonight, it's all about Manchester City. It's the podcast. It's Forever Blue. Uh, I've got four guests with me today in our, in our new studio surroundings. Uh, and in future weeks, hopefully we'll be getting ex-players on the phone and, and, and doing other things as well in terms of the podcast. So let me introduce my usual members, uh, which is uh, Harlan. All right, Harlan? Yeah, I'm good, mate. You? Yeah, very good. And we've got Emily. Good evening. And we've got Tony, who is from Hot Clip Marketing, who sponsors the uh, vlogs that I do, who's now become part of the squad as well. So hi, Tony. How are you all doing? Are you asking me or are you asking them a lot? Everybody. Good, right. Okay, we like that. We'll throw it out generally. But we also have a special guest tonight who is uh, not uh, uh, an unknown person to me and might not be unknown to many City fans because he's very active on social media, a certain Mr Andy Savage. So thanks for coming down, Andy. You're welcome. Good evening, everybody. Now, one of the reasons I brought you down will become apparent a little bit later on. Um, So I thought tonight we wouldn't talk about VAR because it's obviously the thing that Everybody talks about it at the moment. I'm just looking at the faces of everybody now. They want oh, yes, to talk about it. <laughs> they they want to talk about it. Let's first of all talk about the Bournemouth game generally. See if you can do it without mentioning VAR. There's the challenge. Who wants to talk about that performance down at uh, Bournemouth? Go on, then I will. <laughs> yeah, I thought um, obviously it was a, a bit of a hard fought win, really. Um, Bournemouth were much improved from the last time that we played them. They were much more physical, especially in the midfield, um, and it took a bit to kind of break them down. But um, yeah, at first it was a bit kind of slapdash, haphazard um, with Cal Walker and Edison, a bit rash. But you know, class prevailed, and it just took us to get playing our normal game, getting the passes going around. And David Silva had the best game that I've seen him play in uh, in a long time he was the catalyst for the majority of all the moves uh all the threading all his passes his vision and yeah we got there in the end and you know it's always good to see City play and and get the hard-fought win when we're playing in maybe like second and third gear you know because when you play reasonably ugly you know you're onto a winner, really. So, but you know it was a hard-fought win, but we got there. And I'm we, not mentioning the, those three letters just yet. <laughs> Were you surprised that uh, Fernandinho or Rodri didn't start the game? 
Not really, no. No, because um, Gundogan's been playing pretty well. And, you know, when you look at the bench as well, the embarrassment of riches that we've got on our bench, a lot of teams would absolutely die to have that bench. So, no, not at all. And Fernandinho has not been back for that long, really. So he's easing him back. But when Rodri came on for me, he did change the game quite significantly. So he has just settled in. He looks like he's been playing for City for ages. And what a buy he's proved to be. And I knew he would do. I want to see a bit more of Cancelo as well. I was at the EDS game on Friday and Rodri was sat in the crowd. Um, some people might have seen I went over and asked him for a, the uh, you know the usual selfie. Uh, but the fact that he was sat there with Alesh Garcia watching the game, he doesn't have to do that, I think says a lot about him as, as a person. Uh, the week before, uh, it was Laporte that was sat in the crowd watching the EDS. So I think that's all very encouraging. Uh, what about you you guys? I mean, have you, have you got any views on the game? Yeah, but Ian Bournemouth's a tricky place to go. The vitality's not been the easiest of places for us to go in recent years. Um, I think to score more than two goals is an achievement uh, down at Bournemouth. Um, last two times we've been down there, it's not been easy. Mahrez had to win the game last season and the season before that it was a sterling winner in the, in the 90, 96th, 97th minute. So to be able to get three past them uh, is great. Other than the, the free kick, um, I think our only vulnerability is something that I think has, well, we've been vulnerable um, because of for, for a few seasons now and it is from set pieces, from dead balls. Um, I think we've got to look at working on them uh, because we're such an attacking side and, and we, we, we dominate the ball for large periods of games. We don't focus on it too much. I mean, I remember Pep saying a few years ago that we we don't we don't practice tackling and and that kind of stuff. But we will be punished by teams um, if we don't put our own chances away um, via set pieces and stuff. If we don't start to work on them more, not only in the defensive phase but in the attacking phase too. But overall, a great performance and um, and just great to come away with the three points. And like like Em said, and I'm sure everyone else agrees, um, you know, an hard fought game. Um, we've not it. We've not hit first gear yet, and when we do... Well, I was going to say, one or two of the people who I caught up with after the game were being a bit critical, really. Um, does that surprise you? Well, I, I beg to differ a little bit there. I thought we only upped the gears when we needed to yesterday. Um, there was plenty more gears to go up. It seems like we started playing better when Bournemouth started coming at us a little bit more. And... Was it was it a free kick? What led to their goal? You can't take the free kick away. That was an absolutely fantastic finish. But I think I was I, the only one in the city section who actually stood there applauding that goal because I just thought it was great. So I looked. Can, to, all you can do. Oh, that, yeah. Well, is nobody else you, did it except black, me. Is that where your black eyes come from today? <laughs> <laughs> no, it was. It was a fantastic finish. That, um, like you say, it's goals like that need applauding. Whether whether it's uh, your your team or or another team. But going back to the game, I just. I just think there's plenty more gears to go up there. We will play better when we need to. I don't. I don't see the point in going at it full pace because what third third game in. You know, you shouldn't really start looking at league table until for me after six games, unless you're a scouser. You know, you start looking at it after 45 minutes. <laughs> um, yeah, there's plenty more to go up there. I thought Fernandinho may have, may have slotted in there at either fullback because I think Zinchenko. We, I don't think he's started the season that great and there's plenty more to go from there so it's all positive really you know it's I know this is going off at a slight tan tangent and I hadn't planned to ask this question but I'm going to ask it anyway because as I stood there applauding that goal yesterday and I did look around the away section and think I'm the only one doing this have you ever been in the crowd you, you the way you're sounding Andy you have or would do that 
do you do you see amazing things by opponents and still applaud and all or, or you know I don't know whether you'd cheer or whatever but, and, and do you get a negative reaction from the City fans around you if you do it no to be fair when we played Crystal Palace last season when um, La- when Lionel Richie scored against us it was an absolute <laughs> cracking goal and every, you know, everywhere I looked around there was actually applauding it but I really think, yeah but I thought we was going to win so if it was going to be late in the day <laughs> I was at Deepdale when um, John Mackin scored that amazing goal against us when he played for obviously for, for um, North End and everybody more or less in the city end applauded because it's all you can do when you see goals like that it's like you almost feel like it's a bit of a privilege when something like that happens so yeah you, what can you do it's a bit of football genius and football magic and you just got to stand there and applaud really. so I'm not the only one what about no, you Tony no. Yeah, I'm the same. I mean, I remember um, Crouchy for Stoke. Um, I was in the South Stand, and again, it was a similar situation that it was from outside the box on a volley, and it went in. And again, you can't. We should have had a free kick before that happened, though. <laughs> <laughs> if only the advert. Well, <laughs> are you introducing the subject of VAR no, no. here? No, no, far from it. Um, what about your views on the game, Tony? Generally. Uh, good game, I thought. Um, like I said to you before, in terms of, I think there was a few players that were getting criticised un, undeservedly. I think uh, Kevin De Bruyne in terms of his shooting, but again, it's a bit of rustiness for me. You know, he spent most of the season out, but some of those balls in behind to the defence and some of the crosses he was doing, um, for me, I just can't wait to see him for the rest of the season because if that's three games in, same with David Silva and I think a lot of standout performances, I mean, Aguero was another one, again, to control that ball after it came to him from De Bruyne and take it out from under his feet and still Mm -hmm. score, I think there were so many great individual performances and I think it might be kind of a telling sign of our season that the only times teams come at us is when we let them by giving them those free kicks, by kind of giving the ball away sloppily um, and letting them through. And it's generally our own mistakes that will cost us in games like this rather than it's uh, fantastic teams breaking us down or wildy goals like that free kick. Sergio obviously uh, clocked up his 400th goal, uh, not not for City, but, but in his career. David Silva clocked up 400 appearances for City. Um, are we still very reliant? As I was driving back from Bournemouth, my mate said to me, it's still the old ones, it's still Silver, it's still Aguero that won that game for us. And if that's true, so I put I put that to you, is that true? And if it is true, is that a concern? Because David Silver's going at the end of the season and Sergio Aguero, as much as it pains me to say it, isn't going to be much behind him, is he? No, I think the positives on that, I think Jesus... Before his injury, I think he started off the season really well. He's had a brilliant pre-season. Well, when David goes, Bernardo, I should imagine, will slot right in there. So I think we'll just be looking at a different replacement. Because I do think we'll lose Sané. But we've got players what are absolutely interchangeable now. And I think that's part of our success as well. Because as an opposition manager, how can you say, right, David Silva's going to be playing on the the left wing or the right wing or Bernardo's going to be... You can't... if. If we don't know what we're doing, how are opposition managers and players supposed to know? In response to that, Ian, I think you've got to look at you know where, where, it's, where it all starts from. We play out from the back now and it starts with Edison, it might, might go to Laporte and, and, it, and it works and it's, it's, it's synergistic, that's the word I want to use. The whole team that, works. Have you just made that word no, up? No, it's an actual word, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> no, but in all honesty, I mean, how does Silva get the ball to provide the striker with an opportunity? How does Aguero get the opportunity on the edge of the box? It it doesn't come out of thin air, do you know what I mean? So 
I understand why people might think that they scored the goals or they assisted the goals, but it, it has to come from somewhere else first to be, you know, to be presented with yeah. that, shall I say. And on Sergio, I, I think, I don't know if everybody agrees, but I actually really, really, really enjoyed watching him play yesterday. It wasn't he, he just his like goal he, scoring, it was his, he was into play, wasn't it? He looked it? like yeah. he was enjoying himself again, Ian, and I don't know if people agree, but for for the majority of the back end of last season, maybe, and, and, and maybe this first half of the Spurs game, he he didn't really look like he was he was enjoying it. He looks like he was more there just doing what we know he should be doing. And against Bournemouth, he looked like he really started to to enjoy the ball when he was on the ball. He was he was positive. He was driving. Um, he was in the right areas at the right times. And I really 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 enjoyed watching Serge. And I think this is going to be a really good season for him. Are we too reliant on Sergio and David Silva? No, I don't think so, because obviously, uh, uh, like it was hinted on there, it's a team effort, isn't it? So on another day, it'll be, you know, Bernardo assisting and, and when he gets his time, Foden playing as well. So, you know, you've got to look across the park and where it builds up from and where the assists come from. But yeah, they are extraordinary players. And I think we are so, so blessed and so lucky to have had both of those at the prime of their career playing for Manchester City Football Club because it doesn't get much better in midfield and up front. I actually fear for the day that Aguero says he's going because... There is nobody out there in world football that can replace him. His consistency, his ability and his individual talent and his skills. There's nobody available out there right now. And I don't even want to know the price that you'd have to pay. But the worry is sourcing somebody to replace him. Because Jesus, yeah, he's had a fantastic start to the season. Bit gutted that he's got injured. But it's who you replace Serge with. But I don't really want to think about that right now. Haven't we got a ready-made replacement in Sterling down the middle? Well, potentially, yeah. But... I don't. I, I like to see. Sorry, I like to see him kind of a bit more forward in midfield. But I do think you need that striker. I do think you need the the out and out striker up front. Although he's become a much more rounded footballer, I do think you need the the striker. I think. I think personally, this season, Ian, we could be seeing Sterling at the twenty twenty fives. In in just the Premier League, um, in all competitions, he could be hitting thirty thirty five a season now, and it's fantastic to know that. Raheem, I mean Arsenal tried it with Walcott and it did work um, and then he obviously got reverted back out onto that right hand side but Sterling looks like he's taken to that more central um, that central striker role shall I say and when he's put there he's frightening I mean a ball in behind and, and Sterling's gone there's not many centre-halves in fact I don't think there is a centre-half catching him once, yeah. once he's through and um, I do agree with them we're probably going to have to bring somebody in that's a world class ready made striker um, but finding that player I mean people use the terminology uh, fill someone's boots the players that we've had over the last 10 years I've not seen a player fill someone else's boots because you can't fill someone else's boots you'll never replace them you'll just merely slot in and be the next player in that squad I think for me, in terms of both of them, if it was if we were to go back three years ago, then I would have said yes because I think at that point, pre-Pep, what the squad was, we would have just missed Silver and Aguero too much. Um, if it was to happen overnight tomorrow, let's say, I don't think we would miss Silver as good as he is because we've got other players in the midfield with that individual brilliance and that 
that's what we've relied on over the years was when we couldn't get through teams when they were sitting 11 men behind the ball it was that bit of brilliance to put the ball behind in dink it over and Silva was great at that um, my worry is Aguero because Jesus is good but he does seem to suffer occasionally from lack of confidence um, beginning part of last year I think he was struggling in the early parts of the Champions League uh, whereas Sergio without fail every time if you need somebody to perform he's there but like Emily said how many strikers out there in the world that can do that I mean, I probably could name about three or four. Don't test me, but yeah, three or four are manned. So is Jesus going to replace God? Um, probably not. No, seriously, the, the amount of strikers, it depends what... There's, there's plenty of strikers all, all over the world, but it's it's Pep won't just bring them in because they're a name. He'll bring them in because they're the, the work ethic, the first and foremost. And if they fit in with whatever system we're playing, it's pointless going paying hundreds of million pounds for somebody because they're a household name. He might have somebody on the radar already. It, he'll be thinking about that. You know, you know, Aguero's departure now. It won't be oh, boss, I'm going to be, I'm going to be leaving next season. They'll have a chat. They'll, they'll know when it's happened. And I think that's for me is one of the confidence I now have in the squad is how well run it is behind the scenes in terms of players and transfers because I've also got confidence after again I was at the EDS game on the Friday and watching some of the kids play there and some of them could quite easily step up in some of the cup games now when they do look to be blooded in the pep way um, so I think I've got more confidence in our overall squad especially when we looked at the bench I mean we spoke just before we started about the bench at Bournemouth whereas again going back under uh, five years ago or something you looked at the bench and thinking well who are we going to bring on here who can change this game how can we uh, make it a bit more solid at the back and there was no one whereas now I do think we've got that depth in squad that teams do rightly fear us and I think that we're going to be sticking around for at least um, if you look at the average age of some of those players like Bernardo under 25 and there's quite a few there under 25 we've yeah, got for at that's least what, that's what Pep's done he's dramatically brought down the average yeah. age of it and and I think was a little bit frustrated with Pep's foot, not with Pep, but the first season when Pep come in. Let's not forget we had Zabaleta as much as we love and Kolarov. You know, the age of these players yeah. was massive. And just to get rid of those two and bring some, you know, younger people in, I, f I think it was absolutely top, top draw. It was worth waiting that season. Let me move on to another subject now. Uh, we will come to VAR uh, because that definitely has to be discussed at some point. There's two subjects directly away from City that I'd like to, to ask you about. First of all, as we record this on Bank Holiday Monday evening, uh, 24 hours from now, uh, both Berry and Bolton Wanderers may not exist anymore. Um, there's been some people suggesting that individual highly paid Footballers like City and United type players should be putting their hands in the pockets. The big clubs like City and United should be putting their hands in the pockets. Uh, others are saying, well, it's just a business and that's how it is. So there's a few little bits of questions here that I'm asking. First of all, how do you feel as a City fan, because you're all City fans, about the potential of losing two of the local clubs? And so should City and should even individual players, and you can broaden it out to other clubs if you want but obviously we're City fans should they be doing anything or is this just you know survival of the fittest it's it's difficult Ian um, it's it's a really difficult situation at Bolton obviously I know quite in depth about what's going on there obviously presenting on Bolton FM I've got the show every week um, every Thursday night and um, we have a Bolton Wanderers section on it obviously my co-presenter Danny does a Bolton Wanderers podcast as well and um, it's just been so, so, so repetitive over the last six months. Every single week we, 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 we're going in to record the show and it's just, 
it's been so tedious and, and I, f- I feel for the fans. I mean, I know a lot of fans. I live in Bolton now. I've lived there for eight years. I see the fans on a daily basis and they're devastated. I mean, if that club goes, it's not just the football that suffers. The town suffers because they live for the football in Bolton. They really, really do. I'm gutted for them. I really hope we can get over the line. I think the situation at Bolton is a bit better than what it is at Bury. Um, from what I can gather, I think Bury have got 24 hours, haven't they? Well, um, by the time people read, uh, listen to this, I should say, they don't read a podcast, do they? By the time people listen to this, it may already be over. The story yeah. may already be over. So what I'm, and, and I appreciate what you're saying, Harlan, but what I'm trying to get from you, you people, really, is does it bother you? You know, if Bolton and Berry are off the agenda by the end of the week, by the time City next play against Brighton, are you bothered? Yeah, but no. Um, so it bothers me personally um, because I've got friends and uh, connected to Barry in particular. Um, so it bothers me on that personal level. But in terms of a footballing level, not really. Um, they're historic great clubs. Don't get me wrong, but unfortunately, it's changes needed from top level of the AFL downwards to stop owners being able to do this. It's nothing to do with City. It's nothing to do with United or any wealthy footballers out there. Um, for, for a start, there's legalities behind the clubs uh, investing in another club within the league. But even players, they can only, even for example, White Knight came in, is half a million. That wouldn't help the club. It would only help the owner in terms of him taking his money out that he's invested and that's what he's been haggling to try and do and things like that. So I don't necessarily think that it's the onus is on the past players or clubs to help them out. I think the onus is now looking at the Football League to say, hang on, why do we still have clubs going bankrupt and owners stripping the club, selling themselves the stadium so that they can future, if the club does go bust, they can build houses. Why is this allowed to happen when but, FFP but, but, was supposed to stop that? And I get what you're saying, but you know that if there was a Berry or a Bolton fan listening to this now, and I hope they do, because mm. we you know, we are inclusive, uh, if you like, for, for fans of all clubs, although we're City supporters, they will be saying that in the old days when it was a 92-club pyramid and that the money was more, I know it was never perfect, but more evenly distributed, that that would have helped. I, I take your point, Tony, about uh, the fact that you know it, it isn't for individuals or people to bail out badly run organisations of any type, but, of course, there is a shortage of money going into lower division football. Uh, I go and watch... I, I must have watched Berry in my lifetime... 200 times and Bolton um, nearly as many because I go to watch a lot of neutral football I've, I've attended nearly 1500 matches people going about me watching over 2000 City games I've watched not as many but not far off as many of, of Berry, Bolton, Rochdale, Oldham and all the rest of it I've done the 92 clubs I'm a, I'm a big believer in, in low division football and so therefore it, it, for me personally it will be like a dagger through the heart if Berry disappear if Bolton Wanderers disappear because they are local clubs with, with a rich heritage so I'm caught in this massive dilemma that's why I'm asking you because I don't really have an answer to it but I know that lots of people are asking the same questions I'm asking I think it'll be a huge loss let's not forget City nearly went under would people have cared about us then? Yeah, I think they would have done because we was everyone's second favourite club. If we went bust now, nobody'd give two hoots. 
But with regards to Berry and stuff like that, I've asked the same question. I don't know if you've seen it on me on my Facebook group, and it's been a it's been a mixed reaction really. One one of the things what come back with the question what he asked was, uh, "Hang on, we did help Berry out, you know, with our own training facilities, mm. and they just trashed the place and we took it off them." But that's not really well. Uh, that, that's that's, that's, for me, a, that's a separate entity. Just on that allegedly. trashing of the, uh, the I don't know. We don't know what's happened there, mm. so that's a strong allegation. No, that, that, so that's, that's allegedly obviously, but. We need to keep clubs like the Berries, the the Boltons, the equivalents, whether it's down south or the Midlands and stuff like that. Like you say, it's a 92, 92 club and we've got to keep it that. Do players need to put their hand in the pocket? No, not unless they want to. You know, you, you can't put a gun to their head and say you're going to bail out Berry or stuff like that. But there should be something within the FA and all the governing bodies for things like this because you can't you can't penalise like the fans and stuff like that. I I think it was Granada reports or something I was watching the other night, and I think the guy uh, there was the interviewed somebody. And he was 73 and he's been watching. Yeah, I think I saw that. I, think, I don't know if it's Berry or Bob. Berry was a Berry yeah. fan. Yeah, and that, that's heartbreaking. That you, you imagine that happening to City, like which it could have done a few years ago. I think it's important. Whatever needs to be done, uh, the authorities need to keep these clubs alive. Then should City and United go back to having friendlies in pre-seasons, which would help gate receipts at these local clubs, etc.? Is that you know a possible way going forward? I know it's not you can't do a pre-season mid-season, but going forward to help some of the local clubs that potentially are struggling to do pre-season. That's friendlies. what a lot of Bury and Bolton fans are actually saying, and we know that the reality these days is that City want to go abroad because they they're all mm. about spreading the brand. So it's not going to happen, is it? No. But we the old reserve leagues I've been I've been banging on about getting you know the reserves you know for either up and coming players or players who were, who were recovering from injuries or just not in the team and we need to be going back to there because you quite rightly say that's a little bit of revenue for them maybe the local clubs could start well, giving, well, you know, loaning them players you know yeah. just and City's stuff like that EDS is going to be playing against Rochdale in theory Bolton Wanderers and Bradford Are you, you know would you go to those games I'm going to, to hopefully all three of those if I can get to them yeah. If it if it means if it means revenue if it means revenue going it going into those clubs, absolutely I would. Whether whether I'd want really want to watch it. And you know, I'm sure we've seen it up and down up and down the years where buckets go round, you know, for for clubs and stuff like that to try and help them out. And anything I'd love to help somebody out. Yeah, I've seen a lot of um uh, not just blues but um fans of like other clubs, but I'll say blues in the specific instance, saying, you know, FM because when we were down there in the doldrums, they were doing nothing but mocking us and laughing at us. But imagine if that was your football club. Imagine if that was City. When we were, like, you know, Shinawatra came in, the finances were all over the place, so the staff weren't getting paid at City. It was a disgrace what was going on in the back room and it was really touch and go at one point. And then obviously the rest, as we say, is history. Imagine if, if that was City you would have your heart ripped out of your chest. It's your football club that you know and you love and you just... I, I, I don't even know what I'd do without City. Well, n- none of us no, do. You have. So <clears throat> you've got to think about it from a fan's perspective like that and how how it's making the fans feel. The, the players and the staff who aren't getting paid, who have mortgages to pay, they've got children to feed. It's a business at the end of the day and it's just a shame that it's been completely and utterly driven into the ground by neglecting owners 
But it's happening at United as well, isn't it? They're ploughing all their debt into the club, but they're obviously coping because they're a huge football club. Now, if club. that club was going well, bust... <laughs> yeah, I know that, but I'm just saying, on a larger scale, it's happening at United. But because Bury and Bolton aren't that big, then obviously they're really suffering. But from a football fan perspective, I would be... I don't even know what I'd do without City. I think, just my heart goes out to it. I think it's an education for football fans um, all around the country and all around the world in this though as well to, to not be too complacent and to not count your chickens before they hatch. You know, we are in a really, really privileged position right now to be watching the outstanding football that we're watching. It hasn't always been that way, but still at certain times under certain managers we played some decent stuff. It probably wasn't Premier League winning stuff, title winning stuff, Champions League qualifying stuff. But it was good stuff and we enjoyed it because it was City. But at the same time, the Bolton fans and the Bury fans have watched their club play for years and years and years. Bolton fans will remember the days when they had Anelka, Jorkaev, Kevin Nolan, Akotcha doing rainbow flicks over people. You know, I often speak to Bolton fans and even though it's not the same club right now in terms of the way that the structure is at the club, it is still the same Bolton Wanderers that may be going under that were playing against us in the Premier League. You know, that had Yusef Skaline and Sean Wright Phillips dinking it over his head. I had to throw that in there. But th- this is what I mean. It's the same club and it m- may not be a club. And it is, like Em said, because of poor ownership. But at the same time, I agree with Andy as well. You know, it, it kind of is what it is. And, you know, if, if you help out once, maybe then you have to help out all the time. So I don't understand, though, as well, where certain Bolton fans seem to think that City, because they've got the shake behind the club can write blank checks out to bail them out because I've seen that as well on social media you know Bolton fans saying oh well why can't City come along and help out you know they've got to think about City first and foremost and we can't we're not a charity are we at the end of the day it's a business football whether we like it or not these days is a business and we can't just be giving out handouts it doesn't work I don't think we can with the guidelines can we no you can't so even if we wanted to the way the way the governing bodies are set up, we're, we're not allowed to. So yeah. first and foremost, it's, it should be the owners who who've got the clubs into that state who should be made accountable. accountable. And then there should be something with all the money what the FA get that it should be distributed to those who really really need it. And I think that's Emily just hit the nail on the head really um, when you said it was a business because that's the problem with football from the top of the Premier League right down um, into grassroots is they treat it like a business and by they you know the powers that be when realistically uh, ask any fan on any Saturday it's not a business it's a passion for them it's a love um, and I think this is the mistake that foot, well the problem that football has is we treat it as a business so even when we look at VAR for example that we try and have these black and white results because there is so much business that is then impacted by that whether it be the bookies or whether it be money in terms of what you get from league positions and stuff like that whereas if you take the money out of it it is just a pure football game and that's what we miss within the football structure so obviously you have parachute payments from the Premier League if you get relegated that amounts to nearly £100 million now if you're one of those mid-table to lower league uh, clubs in the first division you've either got to borrow to then make up for that 100 million so you can attract the same players to try and get promotion get the golden ticket of the premier league and it is a gamble if it doesn't pay off you end up in Bury and bolton situation if it does pay off you end up in terms of um, huddersfield or even bournemouth who then ended up staying up and you know getting a place in the premier league for the last couple of years now and i think that's the problem with 
a lot of football at the moment is the people making the decisions are business people rather than their ex-football people. And I think that's, for me, one of the main issues with it all. This is a subject we could talk about and maybe we'll talk about again. I just hope that by the time you're listening to this podcast, if it is after five o'clock on Tuesday, uh, that is uh, British summertime, that the both clubs have survived, but the problem's not going to go away. And there are rumours of other clubs being in similar types of positions. So it's a debate that will run and run. So we're going to come to VAR in a minute. I've got one more question I wanted to throw out because it is relevant to City fans because I was only asked about it today by a Belgian journalist and obviously people will know that I've been writing a book with Vincent Company recently. His start at Anderlecht has not been the best. Um, his results or his team's results have not been perfect. He stepped aside from his match day managing role and allowed Simon Davis, who's his number two now, to be the manager on a match day. Um, have you been surprised that that Vincent's career away from City, uh, and he's obviously injured now as well, which is another thing I'd, I'll just throw in, he may or may not take some part in his testimonial, which is only two or three weeks away. But uh, have you been surprised by Vincent Company's um, slow start? And, and does it matter? Because he's now no longer a City fan. I know he's a City idol, but does it matter to you whether he's, he's succeeding at Anderlecht or not? Ian, we all want Vinny to succeed. Um, he brought us so much success and so much leadership. And I think every single City fan, no matter where you are, wants the best for Vincent Company. The best thing for Vincent at this moment in time is to let Simon Davis take over on a match day, um, concentrate on seeing out his playing career and fully, fully focus on that. Um, I've never been in that position, obviously, but I, I can only imagine how hard it must be to have a double interest during a football match. Um, want to try and be the gaffer and also try and concentrate on your game as well. And the other side of it as well is something that a lot of people might not have thought about. If you're preaching to your players that they need to play a certain way and do a certain thing and you then don't practice that during a match, that's going to affect your team's morale because you are not practising what you're preaching. So I suppose sometimes to be a player manager is, is quite a difficult thing. And um, yeah, I, I can understand why he's decided to um, look at things and, and, and do what he's done. You know, I'm really unfortunate that he's injured now, but maybe he'll be able to take a step back now and reevaluate the start of the season. And I wish Anderlecht all the best because I really love that club. I like that club a lot. I think for me, in terms of uh, Vinny there, I think what we've got to bear in mind is that he was brought in to do a building job. Um, he's been playing a very youthful side. Um, so he is building a squad and building a way of playing and kind of going back to that Andalette way um, that he grew up in. And it takes time to change that. But because he's Vinny and because he is so good in terms of his persona on and off the pitch, then people expect him to hit the ground running. Personally, I've never seen it a player manager in that sense ever work I think you generally have to be one or the other because um, I've seen an interview recently when people were talking about taking a step from being an ex-player to be then on the coaching staff and you have to kind of take yourself out of the WhatsApp groups take yourself out of that because you're not one of the lads you've got to pull yourself away and be the coach then and I think there is a balance there and I think for me he will do a lot better. I know this is about catch-22, but now he's injured. If he stays on the side of the pitch, I think he will, they will start to get a bit more, um, vice versa, like he said, in terms of Simon being in the dugout. If he's on the pitch, I think they'll do a lot better. And I, I, yeah, I think uh, Vinny's going to do really well there. Just a bit gutted. We might not see him on his testimonial, but fingers crossed. Great managers, don't, uh, great players don't always make great managers. I'm not surprised because 
it's early days. He's only had a few games, and it's well too early to start judging him as a, a player manager. I agree with you. I don't think player managers work. You have got to be one or the other, and it could be a blessing in disguise that he's injured now because Simon Davis, was he a great manager? No, and I, th- I think you've got to have somebody experienced like Vinny you know what goes hand in hand with it the the number one and the number two I've got to have a close bond and if Vinny's on the pitch does he really influence it a lot some people might say he used to he used to influence our team and drag you know drag us up by the bootlaces sometimes but I think we had a lot of captains you know playing at the same time and another thing just because you don't know what kind of training methods he's given him is because Vinny was a great player is he expecting that greatness from 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 his young young team, you know that they, they they won't have the ability what Vinny had in, in as a centre half. So is he is he asking them to do something they're not capable of doing? He just needs he just needs to. I, I think he'll get a lot of support from City as well. You know they, we have started filtering players over there. I think the club will do everything they can to help him. You'll probably see in the background it won't get publicised where we'll send some coaches over and stuff like that to help him out. You know. Well, it's fledgling career so far, isn't it? The one thing I would say is that um, as part of the process of writing the book with him, I spent a week out in Holland where uh, Ven- in Venlo where uh, Anderlecht were doing some of their pre-season. And obviously, as, as an author, a ghost writer who was working with him on his story of the treble, which comes out in November, I was only really concerned about talking to him about that. He, for his part, was brilliant when I sat down with him and uh, and, and was very fulsome and very generous with, with her, the way that he talked. And I'm, and I'm sure it would be a great book. But I was very, very aware of the fact that this was a guy who was in a new club in a multitude of roles under tremendous pressure, not just from Anderlecht, but from himself because he's a perfectionist and he wants to be absolutely everything right. We saw at times when he was a player, and I I don't want to have a go at players that played alongside him, so I'm not going to name them, but I also got the feeling when he was talking about players he'd played alongside within the book that he admitted really that there were times he was playing in City's first team where the player alongside him wasn't perhaps at the top of their game and he had then been covering for that player and then been more exposed and then perhaps received more criticism from the City fans because he wasn't playing that well. And that's a trait, which is what I said to the Belgian journalist today, which is very, very honourable and very, very laudable in that he wants to play the role of every player in the team. And maybe this comes to the the player-manager bit as well, you know, that he can't do that, that he's trying to be everything. And I could just tell from that, just on that one week, when I was w- with him out there, that he, he every second of, he, of his consciousness was about trying to get Anderlecht to be the best they could possibly be, which I'm sure all managers say that they want to happen. But this, this guy is, is absolutely the epitome of that 100% commitment. And I just feel as if he's, he's trying to do too much. I think with the decision, obviously, before we got injured, he's decided to go back to doing what he does best, which is being a captain and being a leader on the pitch. So he's thought, right, obviously not working right now. Let's go back to my basics and let's go back to my complete and utter strength that I've been dominant at and I know that I'm really good at. If I can get on that pitch, completely concentrate on being a captain and a leader on that pitch, then maybe like drag him up by the bootlaces and control it in that respect and see if the results can improve by me just doing that for now. And then let's see where we go with that because that is what we all know is exemplary at 
but it's just a shame that he's got injured now, so we'll have to see what's going to happen. I think one, one thing I want to look at here, Ian, when we're talking about this, this is that, um, you know, in any job when there's pressure, especially a, a, a job of this magnitude, and like you said, he's a, a job that he really wanted to take and, and that he's really passionate about, when you go into a pressurised situation like that and you're in the public eye, the media are going to scrutinise everything that you do. Um, Vinny will always have a connection with City. You know, he, he loves the club, we love him, um, and we'll never, ever forget what he did for us. But like he, like you say, he is at Anderlecht now, but the media won't let everyone forget that he was a City player and the way that the... The, the, the kind of the rejig was, was reported I thought was quite poor it was in bad taste in my opinion um, you know uh, ex Man City centre half Vincent Company um, steps down after um, you know poor start to the season Anderlecht's worst start in I think it's 21 years my wife said to me I think he stepped down as manager I said no no he's not stepped down as manager but that, that reporting yeah. that you're talking about meant that unless you read into the detail you could misunderstand yeah, that couldn't you Lack of yeah, clarity and lack yeah. of clarity, but is that another way of the English media getting one over on us or, or trying to have a dig at us? And to use Vincent Company in that way for me is a massive, massive insult. And he's not a guinea pig. Don't use him as a as a guinea pig. You know, Vincent Company will succeed at Anderlecht, um, and he'll succeed with or without the media because Vincent Company will will will, will break through walls to succeed, and and that's what Vinny's like. That's it. It's in his DNA. And that's for sure. Right, let's move on to uh, to the big hot topic of the week. Mr Andy Savage, you are now going to take centre stage because VAR is next topic on the agenda. Now, down at Bournemouth, um, I, I'm in the crowd, so I didn't see any uh, reviews of it. Uh, obviously, nobody tells you what's going on. My son texted to say, David Silver's just had his foot stamped on. That is 100% penalty. Uh, at the time when it happened... I was miming a square in the air to, and shouting VAR, VAR. There are other people doing that around me. Um, obviously, it didn't, in the end, affect City's result. They won 3-1. But, Andy Savage, you were particularly outspoken after the, the game against Spurs and got a lot of reaction on social media. <laughs> um, you were going to destroy your season tickets, never go again. Well, rather than me put words in your mouth, first of all, tell me what you said, why you said it, whether you're sticking to it, and what reaction you've had. Well, initially, when, when I put that on, on Twitter... What did you put on Twitter? I basically put, uh, football is dead. Um, even before that happened, right, right at the end, where we, we thought the winner was scored... Where I sit in the family stand, even when City scored the first two goals, everyone jumped up, but they want that instinct, instinctive celebration. It was like, oh, hang on, we better wait until, you know, VAR's kicked in or anything like that. The emotion went out of football. And then when we thought we scored the winner, everyone jumped up, sort of forgot about VAR, and we was we was kicked to the ground with it, you know. So in that in there alone, we should have had a penalty. You know, I think every, everybody agrees with that, you know, whether they're pundits or anti-City or whoever. But after the Spurs game, I did get a lot of reaction and I felt... What did you say, though? What, what was it that triggered it? Um, I know what it is, but yeah. I want you to tell the listener. <laughs> well, I, I just put, uh, basically, fo football died on, on that particular day because, because of the things I've just said. And what, was you, what were you going to do? I'm trying to drag this no. out of you, it's like pulling teeth. Well, I, I said that I'm sending my season tickets back. Um, <laughs> Did you? No, I've actually uh, my son's a season ticket with me, and I've actually given it him. I said, just use it as you want. It's so you're not going to go anymore? No, 
Ever? No. You're never going to go and watch City again, ever? You can never say never, but so like a week and a bit on, I feel exactly the same. It, it, was, it wasn't done in haste. I actually thought about it. I, had, I knew the criticism I may have got. on. I was expecting being absolutely slaughtered on Twitter. And I'm very surprised a lot of people agreed and that they was in the same mindset. So for, for me, like yesterday, I watched um, the Bournemouth game in the pub. We scored. It wasn't really a reaction from me or anything like that. Just, right, just let's see if VAR kicks in. The instinctiveness has completely gone out of football and I'm not enjoying it. So is not, that the only reason why you felt like you did and reacted like you did? Because Just VAR? VAR. It, Nothing it, else? It, it has killed the game, Ian. It really has. That is a strong I, reaction. I, I do actually feel down about it. You know, Anybody who's not a City fan or even City fans might think, oh, man up, do this, do that. It's just the way I feel. If I'm, if I'm not enjoying doing something... You know, I'm, I'm not going to go and watch it. You know, whether it's whether it's City or you know, if it, even in international football. Well, I stopped watching England a lot a long time ago. But I'm I'm not at this moment in time. I will not be returning because of because of VAR. Right, I'm leaving a dramatic pause there because I now need you three to tell me what you think of, of what you've just heard from Andy. I just want to ask Andy a question um, as a recording. Ian, is it more the um, the the match day experience then being different, Andy, that 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 you that you're upset about, or is it the the the, the technology being brought in? Is it is it that change that that you're not happy with? Well, it was VAR was brought in in case the uh, referees and officials, you know, missed missed something. We've got to the stage now where the referees they look hesitant, you know, it, whether they gonna give a penalty or a decision in in whatever way. It seems like they're scared of making decisions. So if they're not making a decision, say, for instance, there's, there's loads of examples, not just for City either. And when I say football is, is dead, I don't mean just City. I think it's killed football. But going back to your question, it's if an official is missing something clear and obvious, that's when it goes to VAR. When it goes to VAR, who's supposed to right them wrongs and they're making the wrong decision, what is the, what is the point? It really is. It's just it's just nonsensical. It's like the the rule what they brought in now, where accidental handball for a striker and a goal scored. It gets ruled out because it's accidental. The ball comes in. It's a defender on the arm. It's not a penalty. And gone. Have, have they got these out of a Christmas cracker? Yeah, um, yeah. It's, it's a difficult one, Ian, because I'm I'm I was pro VAR three years ago. I remember sitting down with my pal Danny co-presenter and, and we just sat there on the phone one night we chat about football for half an hour and, and we were kind of talking about what needs to happen in football to, to make it make it fairer and we were talking about all sorts of stuff and VAR was one of the things that we said maybe bring some um, video assistant refereeing you know, or something a bit like rugby and, and then obviously it started to get spoken about more was used at the World Cup uh, started to become more informed about it I think my issue with VAR is that um, it's not used, and I said this on last week's podcast, it's not used the same in every country. So there's different versions of video assistant refereeing. Uh, Tony will tell you in a minute, some some places use um, the screen in the stadium to show three screens, one of the VAR room, uh, one of the stadium, and one of them actually drawing the lines on the screen or, or, or analysing the actual footage. Um, and that will bring clarity, that will also bring an understanding of what's going on. I think for a lot of fans, it's it's not actually knowing what's going on and, and feeling uncomfortable about the fact that they don't know how to react. Is it going to be a goal? Is it not? That causes the, the, the upset and causes the disgruntlement. But 
my opinion on VAR is I was for VAR three years ago uh, before it was even spoken about. I'm for VAR now if it's used in the correct manner, if the output is analysed in the correct way and for the fairness of the game because I can't look at, you know, I said last week, if Spurs had scored that goal, obviously you said that you would have wanted the goal to stand. If I'd have got home with no VAR, watch match of the day and it had a bit more as arm and bounced to Kane and he'd have scored, I'd have been saying, hang on a minute, we should have drawn that game. They've won that game 3-2. That was on ball. So with it... But you're always going to have those arguments. And I suppose what, what Andy's talking about, which is the core of this particular argument, because there's so many different directions you're going in VAR, is this loss of the emotion. Mm-hmm. So I went along to Boundary Park on Tuesday night and Oldham <coughs> were playing Exeter. It finished 1-1. In stoppage time in that game, Exeter... Uh, well, I want to say scored a goal. It was ruled out, but the, you know the ball ended up in the Oldham net. The lines person put up the the flag, and it was ruled out in an instant. So there was the euphoria of the Exeter fans was yeah oh, and it was over. The, for Oldham fans, it was oh, oh oh great, but it was it was in a split second. And so uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth, Andy, but what you seem to be saying to me and what I've heard from a lot of other people who've said the same things as you, because I've heard a lot of them saying it. I mean, I could name a few, I'm not going to do, who've contacted me on social media or I've just seen make similar statements to yours. So there's definitely a groundswell of opinion that it is not that... I can get all the arguments that you're making, Harlan, about... You know how it should be used, and this, that, and the other. And I'm sure we'll come back to those debates a lot in in the future. But it, the the core of all this, am I right, Andy, in saying that it is that emotional problem that is the thing that's that saying you're saying football is going to die as a result of? Absolutely, the human instinct of scoring a goal has gone. As I said earlier, when we scored the first two against Spurs. Where I was, I was speaking to Emily early. She, she said it wasn't the same in in the South Stand, but all around where we was, everyone jumped up and oh, oh, we're thinking about VAR before the emotion of scoring. And and for that to happen, it that's at what we Bournemouth, all that's, that's, what we all, that's what we all go to football for. In you know, Bournemouth, the City fans cheered when the ball was kicked off after a goal. And at first, the first time they did it, because obviously it happened three times, I thought, well, what were they cheering for? Mm-hmm. And then it, the penny dropped, and I thought. This is a sarcastic cheer because it's only when the game kicks off again that you can guarantee the goal's been scored. And I feel like this, it's not... I'm not sitting here speaking out about it being an anti-City agenda. I'm talking about football as as a whole because every team up and down the country in the Premier League will have decisions against them like this. That does not make it right, you know, because everybody will be going through the same emotions... And when it happens to them, like if it happens to say Liverpool, pardon the pun, <laughs> they're, they're okay. Not the at first the time I've heard that joke, <laughs> by the way. <laughs> they're okay at the minute, you know. But when it starts, if it happens well, to Spurs, it, didn't it, yeah, in the weekend? If, if it happens to them, well, they didn't like it one bit at the moment because the decisions what's gone against City, for instance, everyone's laughing about it, thinking that we were just. Um, Babies, you know, just get on with it. When it starts happening to more and more clubs, you'll you'll see this pick up a bigger, bigger role, and it it will get bigger. This they've they've created a monster now. 
I think it's two things here because from what Andy's saying here is that it's taken that emotion of scoring a goal, jumping up and down, celebrating, so it's fundamentally changed the game for you. But then this is where I'd argue it's the implementation of VAR, so we shouldn't be reviewing every goal for the sake of reviewing every goal. It should be when there's been a mistake. It shouldn't just get rewound to say, well, did somebody handball? Did somebody do this? It should be, right, goal, let's kick off again unless there was a clear and obvious error that has been made so somebody's been you know grappled around the neck and it should be a penalty or something along those lines and I think it's how they've implemented VAR for me rather than it's VAR that's the problem okay I'll give you David Silva yesterday everybody in the ground I should imagine penalty on the TV penalty all the commentators saying penalty the referee either missed it or was too hesitant to give it because he must have thought VAR VAR will back me up here so it went to VAR and that wasn't given. That was clear and obvious. So how come VAR didn't kick in with that one? Because it's the implementation of it again. So what we had beforehand is, with before VAR, was referees made a mistake and the FA came out and said it wasn't a mistake. We can't call the referees into question because it'll undermine them on the pitch, this, that and the other. And this is the argument now we're seeing with VAR. So from what I've read anyway, VAR have now been told that we can't undermine the referee too much. So if the referee says, I saw it, I didn't think there was much in it, VAR aren't then going to have a look at it because they don't think it's clear and obvious because he saw it. And this is why, as I say, it was down to the implementation. Um, and then also, for me, it's about the fans. Whether they're at home or in the stadium, they need to be brought into it. So I watched the Bournemouth game at home uh, at weekend. And to be honest, I was no more in the clue as to what was going on than people in the stands because they were slow to show you the VAR um, in terms of what was going on. The commentators didn't know, so they weren't telling you. The Sky weren't doing their normal replays anyway. Doesn't make it right, though. You know, because, and it still goes back, I'll keep going back to it. It's to put the rights. So, you could, why not retrospectively then? It's going gonna, it's gonna to get really, really stupid now where we're waiting two or three minutes for a decision. Do you not, do you not, I know you're saying it's not the referee's fault, it's not, it's the, it's the people operating the VAR. Well, if the referee, take the referees away from it then. Let's, let's, have, let's have cameras refereeing it. Where I differ from you, Andy. And I respect your position 100%. I respect everybody's position in any debate because that's what debate is and everybody's entitled to opinion. So I'm not rubbishing your opinion at all. The difference between me and you, I suppose, is that I won't be driven away from football and I won't be driven away from watching City, even though I agree with what you're saying. But I will give you an example, which is actually quite close to, to what you're saying. And this, by the way, is not a comment on your level of fandom or anything like that. But for a long time, while I worked for the BBC, I, was, I became a rugby league commentator and attended a lot of rugby league games. And when that all ended, I still carried on going watching rugby league games in much the way that I go and watch neutral games now, the Rochdales, the Oldhams and all the rest of it, just because I was a fan of the sport. But there came a point where I was sat in a stadium. I, seen, I think it was, it was either at St Helens or Warrington, where I was sat in a stadium and there was a, a big screen in the stadium and every single time a try went over, the referee would do a, a, a you know, mime the square in the air. And I thought, and then, then you'd wait three or four minutes while they were, as it happens, the fans in the stadium could see this. So you could actually see what they were looking at which we don't get in football, but you could see whether the hand had touched the ball, whether it was behind the line, did he have forward momentum, all the things that they were looking at. You could see all this, but, I, but it was taking three minutes. And I'm thinking, 
I'm sorry, but rugby league has just died for me, and I've I've not been to rugby league since. I've hardly watched a single rugby league game, and it's for that reason. So it, that's how I can relate to what yeah, he's saying. It's, it's like I touched on earlier, Ian. It's if if I like going to the pub, doing whatever, and then I've lost that interest. I won't go to the pub if I'm not enjoying watching football. I'm not, I'm, I'm not just going to go just because I've paid for a season ticket. No, the season ticket's not going going to waste. I've given my lads to do whatever he wants. He can pass it to his mates or whatever. If I'm not enjoying it, I'm not going to go and do something just for the sake just for the sake of going. Yesterday, although we won three one, I didn't really enjoy it, and and I, I feel I feel horrible about that. But it's, I, I can't with me with, with me emotions and stuff like that. It's really, really weird because it's something what's in my blood, and all of a sudden, just to not enjoy doing something, it's left me scratching my head. When I put that on social media, I was expecting I'd change my mind the day after. So I woke up, felt exactly the same, and that shocked me more than anything. You've been really honest. Now, let's say from Emily and, and Tony, particularly, because we've heard from Arlen, you know, how do you react to everything that Andy's saying? I completely and utterly respect it, um, but. Wild horses couldn't drag me away from watching City. If but the what, what would said, stop you then? If the Sheikh said sayonara tomorrow and we plummeted back through the divisions, I would still be there. Is there uh, anything that would stop you? No. I would, <laughs> no. I would if we plummeted no. around the divisions because there wouldn't be VAR. Well, it doesn't... <laughs> no, but VAR, I'm not going to be stopped by VAR. It, it would take... I don't even know what would, what would stop me. But I understand about the emotion because... I am feeling a little bit more stressed now because I used to find that going to football was a bit of a stress reliever. You know, you get up there, you'd be shouting your head off. It, I'd always feel better going to football because I'd, I'd feel like I've relieved my stress. But I do feel like it's kind of inciting it a little bit. And I do feel like it's becoming over analytical now. I don't think there's a need to analyse every single goal. It should be the clear and obvious errors. That's what it's there for. And... It's too inconsistent for me because, I mean, the Sterling goal at West Ham that was ruled off because of his arm. Nobody is allowed to score with an arm anyway. And then the other night, Wolves scored an absolute worldie against United, happy days. And they analysed that and they were looking at it again. And his arm was in the exact same position. Now, I did not want that goal to be ruled out because obviously it's against United. But if the goal against West Ham, the Sterling goal was... The consistency should be that that goal was charts off as well. So you've got to get the basics right and it has to be consistent. But the problem again is that it's so much down to individual perception. So every single person's perception of a rule can be different. And that's the problem. I don't even think you are going to get a consistency across the board because everybody's got a different view of it. So for me, going to football is about the highs and the lows. We've all sat through the lows in Division 2. We're experiencing the highs now. And to feel it, though, at the Spurs game, where it was like, oh, that last-minute winner, there is nothing better at football than experiencing and celebrating that adrenaline rush that shoots through every single part of your body when you score that last-minute winner. The scenes, the limbs, the bruises that you get celebrating, that is what we all live for. That is part and part. That, that is the fundamentals of football. And then to go from that, to looking around in bewilderment, to, oh, and then you're brought back down straight away. Your body, the reaction in your body, 
and you're walking out of the ground feeling like you've been you've been beat and then you've got the, all the trouble that goes with it because you're walking out to rival fans doing those signals that you're taunting you being aggressive and it's your body's reaction because your emotions are all over the place Emily, you sort of if VAR what didn't wasn't in the Premier League this season and that the referee or the lines person flagged or did, ruled it out you can kind of you can kind of understand that because that's the talking point yeah. after but when it's cl- the clear and obvious for VAR, when that goes to be analysed, yeah, and it should the goal should have stood. That that's what's wrong, and te- and that's what's killed it's football. Wrong and and what? But what's the answer? Because it's at the moment it's going nowhere, is it? So you know, I don't know what the answer is because there's a lot of unhappy fans at the moment, and until the football fans of different clubs have experienced it, they won't really know how it makes you feel. But we've just got to keep doing what we do on the pitch and hope we can, you know, overcome it. I mean, people are saying about conspiracies and stuff. That's ridiculous. It's just about the rules. The rules are too, you know, they make it. They seem to me to be making the rules up as they go along, especially with the silver thing because stamping on a foot. If and the we watched it over and over again and every with Rod- every Rodrigo time. Spurs. Yeah. All over him. You know, and I, I was on Five Live and they sung over me when I mentioned that. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. And this is the, the, the flippant and the blasé attitude that other people have got towards it. But you're the person who's going to the match, who's experiencing all these emotions. I've... It's a story to a journalist. It's life to, yeah. to fans, isn't it? I think it also comes down to, when it comes to VAR anyway, is that raw emotion and kind of certain fans thinking you can't show the emotion because it's going to get taken away from you and this is why for me it comes down to the implementation of VAR because you can still enjoy football with VAR in play to a, to an extent right um, I'm going to ask you something now <laughs> I will get this let, point let, out let's, let's go back to the <laughs> let's go back to the Spurs game yeah right you're pro VAR yeah to a degree go <laughs> that could have won us the league or relegated us would you would your opinion still be the same I like to think it would because it kicks us out of the Champions League and I'm still sat here saying the same thing. So for me, I'd like to think that I would still say that in that situation as well. But it is down to the implementation. So for example, if we look at the MLS, the MLS have the replay shown in the ground, replay shown in the TV. Everybody knows what's going on as soon as it goes to VAR. If we look at, for example, La Liga, same thing. It showed the VAR room like it did in the World Cup on TV screens as well. Um, there was a case last year against Real Madrid, Villarreal, where they went there and there was no one in the VAR room. Um, but then this is for me where it comes down to transparency to get rid of these conspiracies. Because if we had VAR shown and you could see who's doing what then you're not going to say well it's Kevin Friend what do you expect because we're still going around about personalities of the referee we always used to cry when we got Mike Dean or something like that because we knew and then VAR was supposed to get rid of that the problem is how we've implemented VAR hasn't been implemented the best way so we shouldn't be reviewing every goal it should be for when there's an error the referees should be reviewing the touchline screens there is touchline screens in the Premier League but when they trialled it they found that it stopped the game too much so they then encouraged the referees to not use them which reduced it by over 90% however if they're not sure on VAR, for example, the Spurs one with Kane the other day, um, it seems to be a bit 50-50 depending on which side of the fence you want. If they aren't sure, he should be able to go and see that touchline. This game's already slowed down as it is now anyway. So what's an extra two minutes to get the right decision? 
Thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk for sponsoring the podcast this season. Really appreciate that. Uh, look them up, uh, go on the website, see what they do. They are chartered mortgage advisors and do other things like that. Um, thanks very much to the to the gang here. Particularly big thanks to Andy Savage for coming down and bearing his soul, really, and being really honest. And, what I mean, I, I can see a lot of what you say, uh, Andy, and I, I sort of gave the example of the Rugby League as being something that, that's really important to talk about um, not everybody will agree as they don't agree with some of the things I say or some of the things that other people on the podcast say but thanks for coming and, and talking about it thanks very much to the, to the three of you again uh, we'll be back with another podcast next week because City play on the Saturday we'll be recording on the Sunday night which means it'll go live um, uh, on Sunday evening uh, UK time thanks for everybody around the world who contacts us and uh, and makes comments on it gives us ratings uh, subscribe of course the podcast which is completely free don't forget to watch the vlog as well that I did uh, straight after the Bournemouth game which gives you a little bit of an idea of, of, of what the fans thought in the immediate aftermath on match day experience and uh, thanks very much to Will for doing the filming and being behind the scenes and we'll see you again next week